So we're in Ephesians chapter 6. We, I don't have to study the next two weeks, and I'm not excited about that. No, I don't have to because we have a special service, as Brother Chuck has already shared with you. But for those of you that are guests, we've been traveling through the book of Ephesians. We've been in some really difficult passages. Not difficult in the sense that we can't understand, because the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us understanding and enlightenment. But we've had to understand the flow of the context. So today we're going to talk about more than a paycheck. We're going to talk about taking a job and loving it. We're going to talk about where God has sent you and put you. That's where he wants to get the glory from your life. So don't dismiss the context. Don't divorce the context from Ephesians chapter 6, 5, and 9. If you'll remember, we've talked about being spirit-filled as husbands, being spirit-filled as wives, being spirit-filled as uh, children. Today we're talking about spirit-filled employees. And we're also talking about employers that are spirit-filled as well. That's what the context is in Ephesians. Not every employer is in spirit-filled. Not every employee is spirit-filled. But when we are spirit-filled with Jesus living in us, then our job is more than a paycheck. Our passion for Jesus determines our performance at work. We would like to have a boss that would say, don't hire anybody but Christians because of their work ethic. Did you hear that? See, your boss should be saying... Everybody, you need to become like them because nobody works harder than they do. See, a lot of people have a pathetic work performance and a pathetic work ethic because they don't tie their work in as worship. They think that work is to pay the bills. Listen carefully. Work, the work that you do, the job that you have is not just to pay the bills. It's so you can worship Jesus so that you can witness on the job place with the way that you work. Your work is your worship. You've got to understand that. So there's got to be strength in the serve. There's got to be strength in the serve. Venus Williams has the strongest serve in tennis of 130 miles an hour. 130 miles an hour. You think I speak to Gus to 130? She has a serve to 130. She has an incredible serve. And the strength of her game is in her serve. I have seen her down, both the sister as well, Serena, I have seen them down in matches many times. But always, they're able to come back, most of the time, because of the strength of their serve, the strength of her serve. For those of us that are employees, and we work for the big boss, not the little boss, the strength is in our serve. Do you understand that? The greatest servant is the one who lives in us. So he determines that our job is more than a paycheck. Our paycheck that comes doesn't pay the bills. It lets us be light in a dark world so that we can tell people when they need to overcome sin in their life, we can point them to the one who has overcome sin in our life, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, that's the context for Ephesians chapter 6. Because in the context where Paul would have been writing this, and where the church, this was a circular letter, where this church would be read, where this passage would be read, it would be read in front of parents, husbands, wives, children, slaves, and slave owners. Now in Ephesus, just so you know this, the Roman citizens did not have a work ethic, they were lazy. 
Therefore, they had slaves and they had masters. Because they were lazy, they had people that would do the work for them. So Paul is talking about once you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, things change. And so what you would have out in the audience that he would be speaking to, when this letter would be read, you would have slave owners who weren't saved. You would have slaves who weren't saved. But in that congregation, you would have slaves who had come to Christ. They are in Christ, just like children are in Christ, and wives are in Christ, and husbands are in Christ. And you would have slave owners who had become a in a relationship with Jesus. So now they have God's divine image living in them, and their work ethic changed, and the way they treated their employees changed. You see, the gospel changes everything about us. Now, when you think of slavery, we think of the brutal things that we read in our history books, but the slave owners that we were talking about here, actually, oftentimes, slave owners treated their slaves better than anybody else, and they wanted to be a part of this family, because when Paul was writing, the slaves were an extension of the household. They oftentimes lived in the house. They tended to the sheep. So when you think of brutal slavery, that's not it in this image. Certainly there was people who were slave owners who would take advantage of people and treat them in a way that was not right. But basically they were an extension of the family. But Paul's talking about those people who were in Christ. So we'll make the connection today of the application and the interpretation of employee and employer. So that's what Paul is saying here. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. This should change the way that you go to work. It really should. This is an amazing thing. So here's what it says. Bond servants, you want to circle that word. We're going to unpack that in just a minute. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. So what Paul is saying here to those who are in Christ now, to those who have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in their life, they're living unto God now. He's saying, bond servants or slaves, be obedient. It's the same word that Paul used in the last passage for children. It's a little less relational between a, in this situation because a child to the parent, you can see the relationship being closer. But in this situation, it's the exact same word. The word obey means to hear under. It means to hear something and to respond in obedience to do it. When you hear it, you respond in obedience to do it. It doesn't matter if you don't like your boss or not, because you're not working for the little boss, you're working for the big B boss, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have to understand in your workplace, there are things that you don't want to obey and do, but you're to be submissive to that. Now, I'm not talking about things outside the will of God. I'm talking about things under the submission of the will of God. But you'll have a boss that may not be a believer, but as you obey and you serve and they see the strength of your serve in the office and they see that Jesus negotiates like the way you negotiate, then they begin to understand that Jesus has made a difference in your life. So he says here, bond servants, that's someone who out of choice and out of the will of their heart has chosen to serve. That's what somebody in Christ does. Bond servants, be obedient. Now, uh, so it means to listen under, to obey. I'm going to give you a lot of illustrations here, but one is I have hearing loss. So if you have a conversation, just a little, it's just enough to where it's, it's, it's bothersome. For me and for the people that are talking to me. Because sometimes 
I have enough hearing loss to where I hear background noise and I may not hear the first thing you say to me. So what I have to do, it's called selective hearing in marriage. My wife, she says, you don't have hearing loss. You've got another issue. Uh, yes, ma'am, I do. Uh, would you please submit and come under? But anyway, that didn't work very well either. Uh, verses 22 to 24 apply to you. Uh, but anyway, so that's in the spirit, but I'm, I'm in the flesh right now. So the idea of the word obey means to listen, to lean in. So a lot of times when you speak to me, I actually have to lean into you because I want to hear what you said. If I don't understand or hear what you said, I may ask you to repeat that. The idea of the word obey here means to listen and to hear under with the intent of doing what you're asked to do. And oftentimes on the job, we're asked to do things that we don't like to do. But Paul says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Can I tell you something in my life that I have really learned? There are times when I have been obedient to people because they have been the authority over me. Now, there's times I haven't been, but there's times I have been, and I knew that what they were asking me to do, I thought, I've got a better idea. That is not going to work. But you know what God was telling Freeman Tomlin? You need to learn submission. You don't need to think you're smarter than you need to learn how to come under and obey because I want to teach you how to obey me. And if you can't obey this person, how are you going to obey me? So all of our life is a lesson in obedience. So masters, here's what he says here. Be obedient. Okay? Excuse me. Slaves, be obedient. Bond servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. The phrase fear and trembling, when we worship God, we worship God with fear and with trembling, with reverent awe for who He is. So we come before Him as we sing songs about Jesus and how He overcomes the darkness. We are singing with fear and trembling. And it's not a fear and trembling that causes me to run away from God. It's a fear and trembling that causes me to run to God. It's in reverential awe for who He is. Paul says, the same fear and trembling that you have for God, you have for your employer. You approach life in that way. You approach obedience in that way. So the word in the original language means this, to discharge duties, this would be at work, with an anxious care not to come up short. In other words, I'm a picture of who Jesus is. To the world. I'm a picture of who Jesus is to my employer. So I don't want to do anything that would cause them to think that I am coming up short in my relationship with God. And so I don't think about this phrase that the world thinks about that says, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Because that's like, just get through with your job. You're there nine to five. Don't worry about giving your all. How about this? TGIM. Thank God it's Monday. Thank God that I can be obedient. Thank God that my passion for Jesus will determine my performance at work. Thank you, God, that I don't work for the boss. I don't work for the boss. I work for you. And so when I go to work, I work for God. And my work is my worship. So I approach it with fear. Watch this. With fear and trembling and awe. Because God is wanting to teach me to walk with Him. And when I walk with Him, then I can be a witness for Him. Do you know the best witness that you can ever be is probably from nine to five. By the way that you work, your employer should be hire nothing but Christians, hire nothing but Christians. They work. Now, listen, 
I have testimony of a lot of Christians who don't work. Here's what they do. They want to shove the gospel down people's throat at work and they spend all of their time doing that instead of working like they're called to do. If they would just work and worship through their work, the people would see that Jesus is alive in their heart, but they have missed the whole point because they want to take a Bible and shove it instead of live before the people the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you live... Your work and your worship, that gives you a platform to witness. Do you see that? That's what Paul's saying here. Now listen, I work here. And we don't need any full-time, more full-time vocational ministers. That's just my opinion. And I am one. Because what happens is, a lot of times we divorce, we want to say, oh, you're in full-time vocational ministry. Yeah, I work with Christians most of the time. And some mean ones. Not here. Not here. I've been with some people before. I said, God, I can live the Christian life if it wasn't for them. I know I could. And God keeps me humble. I'm going to keep that brother or sister in your life. But the idea is we can't compartmentalize our life. We don't go to work and worship Jesus and then go leave or go to church and worship Jesus and then go to work and worship somebody else. Our life is our worship. Paul says, Master, uh, servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Watch this, it gets better. In sincerity of heart as unto Christ. I was a lifeguard for many years growing up. It paid the best, it was the best pay that we could get when I was growing up as a teenager. And I worked at Wilson Pool. I don't know if it's still here, I did. One day the city came by. The city came by and they shut our pool down. I may have told you this. We had algae all over the bottom of the pool. I just thought it was the deep end of the pool. And I'm the lifeguard at the deep end. The city came, they shut us down, closed it, sent everybody out. And my boss got all of us together and said, we have a problem. And the problem is, we're not keeping the pool clean. And I need somebody to jump in and begin to scrub the algae, get a mask, dive deep, and begin to scrub the algae. Everybody started backing up. Except me. Not because I'm strong, because I wanted a witness to the people that I worked with. And so I decided to jump in as white as and transparent as I am. And I got sunburned. I got so blistered, the seagulls are going, medium rare, go get him. He's good. <laughs> but I'm down there with my mask. I'm down there with my fins. And I am scrubbing the wall. Because as I scrubbed the wall, I was a witness in my work to the people that Jesus may have made a difference in my life. And so when I had time to witness to them, not on the clock, but off the clock, then I could, they could see a demonstration of the servanthood, hopefully, of Jesus in my life. So when you go to work, you have a job. And the job is not to get a paycheck. The job is to worship so people can be pointed to Jesus Christ. So when you go to work tomorrow, man, you need to change your whole attitude and your whole mindset because these slaves who were sitting with slave owners in the church said, wait a minute, I need to do something different now because of the way I work is the way I witness and the way I worship. So that's what Paul's saying here. We're still in verse 5. Here's what it says, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Sincerity of heart means a singleness of purpose. That the final product of whatever I'm asked to do is to be good enough to show God and say, God, this is my best. I have done my best. And a lot of people, here's what they want. They want to pray that God will get them out of the job that they have so that they can get a better job. 
I would like to apply this scripture to say, wherever God has put you, maybe the issue is not that you get more pay. Maybe the issue is that you get more obedient with less pay. And when you get faithful there, God may put you over here. But until then, where you're sent, you're put. Where you're planted, that's where you're supposed to bloom. And that's what was happening in this text. So that's what Paul is saying. In our workplace, it's way more than a paycheck. We do things with sincerity of heart. We do things with singleness of purpose. The idea of the word sincerity there means without fault. To be honest. To have integrity. What you see is what you get with me and with you. Because it's Christ in me and it's Christ in you. So you don't want to have any cracks in your life. That's what the word sincere means. In in biblical days they would make pottery and statues and they would get the statues all perfect and then they would like put a nose on the statue and as they were cult- uh, cultivating and culturing that marble what would happen is they'd knock the nose off so instead of starting over what they would do is they would put that little nose back on and they would use wax to fill in the cracks hoping that when somebody would buy the statue with the marble and the pottery whatever it was that they wouldn't see the cracks so they actually passed laws that said, without wax, sinceria, and it was without wax. So what Paul is saying here, we work unto Jesus, and when people bring fault against us, they can't find any fault in us, because we're not trying to cover up anything, we're not trying to punch out before we're supposed to leave, we're giving everything we have to the Lord, because He deserves our best, and we want to witness at work. That's verse 5. Now let's go a little further. Look at what the text says. So it says, Be obedient, those who are masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as unto Christ. Then he says something here. Not with eye service as men pleasers. How many people do you know that work when the boss comes by? Uh, One of my other jobs, it paid $3.75. That was right around minimum wage. I worked with a bunch of high school students. We got up early in the morning. We went to Sackowitz Warehouse. We were football players. This is part of our punishment, our penance, our training. And so we would go early in the morning. We'd come home like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Our job was to load boxes. We were loading boxes in the warehouse of dresses and pants and, and all kinds of stuff. Anything that Sackowitz sold. By the way, they're not there anymore. And so basically, you would find these high school guys that I worked with. As soon as the boss walked by, they would find a little cubby hole in the boxes and they would fall asleep. And then they would have somebody who would watch out. He would be the eye service person and he would be watching for the boss because if the boss came through, wake up, wake up, wake up, act like you're working, act like you're working. Is that not pathetic? For those of us that are Christians, we don't work as with eye service. We don't work for the human praise of man. We work for the praise of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we represent His excellence. His eye is always on us. He is the boss who's always watching when nobody else is watching. So it should revolutionize our lives as we serve, as we give, as we understand what God has done in our life. So Paul says, don't do it with eye service as men pleasers. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, from this heart that's been changed, from this heart that has had sin taken out of because of Jesus, and Jesus has put the Holy Spirit in, 
from this heart that is now a heart that represents Jesus that is pure. You work with the sincerity of the new heart that you have. Your old heart might have been lazy. You might have wanted to take advantage of your employer. But now this new heart, it won't draw into that. This new heart draws us into righteousness and holiness. So we realize how much God is wanting to use us in the workforce. So we don't do it as men pleasers, but as bond servants. Now, turn to Deuteronomy 15. This is not on the screen, but just so you know a little bit about how slaves, bond servants, were treated. I told you, in biblical days, they were oftentimes treated very well. In fact, this is a passage that's it's going to be unbelievable. It's the law concerning bond servants. It's what Paul uses in the New Testament, 125 times he says, Paul a bondservant. It's called a vulos in the Greek. It's Paul a bondservant. So you kind of have to trace it back to the Old Testament to see what a bondservant is. And then when Paul says in the New Testament, as a bondservant, I do the will of God, you can understand it. So Deuteronomy 15, here's what it says. Verse 12. If your Hebrew brother, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, and serves you six years. Then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away, free from you, you shall let him go, not let him go away empty handed. You shall supply him liberally with your flock. This was a slave who would be serving a slave owner. But this doesn't sound like slavery that we read about. This is actually biblical slavery in the sense of there's a will of the choice. The will of the servant. The the servant whose heart is loving toward his master. That's what is happening here in Deuteronomy. Then it says this. You shall supply liberally with your flock. Weigh them down with blessings from your fleshing, uh, threshing floor and from your wine press. From what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you these things this day. And if it happens that he says to you, this would be the one who would be serving the family. If he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you in your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an all. All right, watch this. You shall take an all and thrust it through his ear to the door and shall, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. Now flip back to uh, where we are in Ephesians. The word bond servant. Do you get the picture here? Here was somebody who would have been a slave or a servant to the family. And after six years on the seventh year, this person could go free. So this person is thinking, I just need to get away from my master. And then as they begin to think, well, I need to get away from my master. Wait a minute. Nobody's treated me like my master's treated me. Nobody's loved me like my master's loved me. Nobody has put things on me and given me so much as I was leaving as my master has. So what I think I'll do here is I'll now make a choice by having them thrust it all through my ear so that everybody that sees me walking down the road will know that I used to serve this person out of obligation, but now I serve this person out of my free will choice because my master loves me. Now you take the spiritual impact of that. Jesus Christ does not make us serve Him. He wills for us to be a bondservant for Him. Because nobody's treated me like Jesus. Nobody loves me like Jesus. So put an all in my ear and thrust it through. Because as I go to work, I want people to know that I belong to Jesus. 
Oh man, do you understand the word bondservant? It's the heart and the will of the person. I don't have to serve Jesus. I get to serve Jesus. It's a privilege. In this interim time, as we ask God to bring the person that he has for us in this church to shepherd us and to lead us, watch this. It's the will of the servant. It's the will of the heart of each one of us to step up and be what God has called us to be. We're family. You use your gifts. I'll use my gifts. And we will work and we will worship and we will give glory to God because we're all bond servants if we're in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Look at the text. Go a little further. Here's what he says. So we don't please men, but as bondservants of Christ, we do the will of God from the heart. Now, listen carefully. Doing the will of God. What is the will of God? The will of God is Jesus. Jesus is the will of God. He lives in me. Now I am a bondservant of Him. So I do the will of God, not because I'm trying to find the unknown will of God. I already know what the known will of God is. The known will of God is for Jesus to be Jesus in me. And for Jesus to serve through me and to love through me. So, so many people get stuck. I just wonder what God's will is. I got news for you. It's Jesus. That's God's will. And once you come into a right relationship with him, then you can do the will of God right where you are. You can blossom and bloom right where God has planted you. And that's what was happening in this text. These people made a choice to serve the will of the master. So we do the will of God. Notice what the text says. And we do it from the heart. We do it from the heart. The CEO of Waste Management. Have you ever watched Undercover Boss? The CEO of Waste Management got in the vehicle with one of his employees who didn't know he was really the boss that was in the office with the coat and tie. But he rode and the, uh, the employee said, we're going to clean out porta cans porta potties And I want you to take the hose and I want you to connect it to the porta can and we're going to pull all that nasty stuff out of there. And the boss got nervous. But you see, the, the boss was undercover, but the employee was not undercover. The employee was doing what the employee should have been doing. So the idea is, we don't have an undercover boss. We have a boss who sees everything. And so we do things with our whole heart. That's what the text is saying here. Now go to the next verse. So we do the will of God, verse 7. With goodwill doing service as unto the Lord. That has to do with our character. We have character at work. We are honorable and we are peaceful because we are spirit-filled. So if you get an employee or a believer who's not spirit-filled, what they will do at work, they are not goodwill. They will be disunifying the team, disunifying the people. They will always be complaining. They will all, we all have them at people that we work with. They're always negative. Negative Nancy instead of positive Pete like Wes. <clears throat> Listen, I've been with Wes long enough. The whole thing can be falling apart and Wes will go, awesome, awesome. Because he's an encourager. <clears throat> now watch this. So the goodwill doing service as to the Lord. So we have character. We don't participate in disunifying things as an employee. We participate in things that unify. Let me give you an example. I worked at going through seminary. 
I worked at Stonebriar Center Mall in Frisco, Texas. It paid the bills, but it was more than a paycheck to me. It's the first time I had worked in a secular setting. And I was the manager over the ice rink, and I drove a Zamboni for a living. I'm telling you, I've waved at more kids. And I hit more walls than you could ever imagine. Because I'm a people person. And so I was like, oh, hey, 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 hey. Hi, Mom. Hey, hey, hey. You know, run this thing like this. But we were very disunified as a group. Because we had, now listen to me very carefully. We had a skating class that would go first. And this is not to classify all people that lead skating. But there were two guys that everybody hated. They hated these guys that were the skating leaders and they would give lessons. And these teenagers that I worked with hated these guys. <clears throat> these guys were homosexual and they were very open about it. They said, this is who we are. Somehow they found out as the boss, I was the boss. They found out something about that I kind of know Jesus or I've been a pastor or I'm going into the ministry or something. So they came up to me in the workforce and they said, okay, what do you think about us? Everybody else here hates us. Everybody else tells us where to go. What do you think about us? And here was my initial response. This is what I said. God being my witness. I said, it doesn't matter what I think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. And I'm going to tell you about God. He loves you with an everlasting love. They've never heard that from the world, but they heard it from someone who hopefully saw my work ethic and can say the passion of Jesus determines your performance at work. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm telling you only God can do this. Only God can do this. So I began to build a relationship with two guys in the workforce. I worked with Christians all the time at church. We never got into conversations like this. But God put me there and he said, you depend on me. He said, you love these guys. You tell them about me. So we would go to California Pizza Kitchen and I would pay. That's nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> Because I didn't have a church card at the time. <clears throat> I take you out now anytime you want. This guy's name was John. I'm trying to make this point here. That you serve with your heart. Wherever God puts you. Wherever it is. You don't think, get me to a church. Get me to another job. No, my job is my ministry. Do you go to work to do ministry? Or do you do ministry to go to work? The answer is yes. Ministry is everything. So the idea was this guy, John. I began to build a relationship with him. I began to talk with him. He said, you know nobody... People like you. He called me a man of the cloth. He said, people like you, you always condemn us. You always point your finger at us. And I said, let me tell you something. I love you with an everlasting love. And I love you like God loves you. Now, I said, let me tell you what sin is. And I told him what sin is in my own, in my own life. And I addressed the issue of sin in his life. We all got stuff. Everybody got stuff. But I said, listen. What matters is that you have a relationship with Jesus. And he was so close. He just couldn't cross over. And, I, and then I left and I, I've never seen him again. But hopefully he found a guy that passed by him that loved him with the love of Jesus and told him about a relationship that he could have with Jesus. And on this side of heaven, I don't know if he ever has responded to the gospel. But my goal was not to condemn him. My goal was to be an extension of the servant who lives in me. Let my witness and my work and my worship be a light for him. And he actually talked to me. We became really good friends and we had great conversation. And 
when we had disagreed, I said, we just agree to disagree on that. But I ne- he never shot me. I never shot him. We loved the fact that we could sit down at the table as different as we are. But here was the difference. The difference maker was in me. I said, Jesus, you let me, you let, you love this guy through me. You let me love him with your hands and your feet and your heart so that when he leaves my presence, he's really left your presence. And I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. Tell me about your relationship with your father. You know what he did? He just broke down. He just broke down. I could tell he was broken. I could tell there were issues here. And I was telling him, but you can know a perfect father. You can know the perfect father through the perfect son if you'll just trust him as your savior. Only God knows. My point is here that we do service with goodwill. Verse 7. We do service as to the Lord. I drove a Zamboni as to the Lord. I led skating lessons as to the Lord. I didn't like it all the time. In fact, there were times when I hated it. But God said, this is where I put you. This is where I planted you. Now you be my light to the world. We're coming to the end. Let's look at the rest of the text. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, verse 8, he will receive from the Lord. I thought that said 1235. I just did a double take. He will receive from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. So the idea is you don't work with your eye on the clock. You work with your eye on the Lord. You don't work with your eye on the clock. We will receive rewards. Thank God that he will give us rewards in his grace, in his mercy. But the Bible talks about at the judgment seat of Christ, those things that we did out of the pureness of heart and out of the power of the Holy Spirit, they will last. Those are eternal works that God did through us. But the things that we did in the flesh on the work job, in the workplace, in the workplace, those things will be as wood, hay, and stubble. They will burn. You'll see up for a mile long. So the idea is that God is a gracious God who will reward us for what Christ does in us. And then one day when we receive their reward, we just lay them down at the only one who's worthy of all of our worship and say, God, thank you that you can use me in spite of me. That's what Paul's talking about here. So you don't work with an eye on the clock. I don't work with an eye on men. I work with my eyes on the Lord. And that's what you should do. So Brother John, this is probably one of his favorite scriptures. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking to attach himself, this is a paraphrase, to someone whose heart is committed to him. So watch this. Man... I go to and fro in the workplace. I walk in the workplace. God's eyes go to and fro. And God doesn't have eyes. This is anthropomorphic language. God is spirit. But his eyes go to and fro. So man is going to and fro. God's eyes are going to and fro. Let me tell you somebody else who's going to and fro. The devil. In Job 1, it says God's eyes are going to and fro. Man's going to and fro. And and then in Job... The Bible says, well, Satan, where are you? And he says, I'm going to and fro. So the Satan is going to and fro. I'm going to and fro. There's a chance that both of us are going to collide. Listen to me carefully. 
Satan doesn't want to cause you to stumble. He wants to kill you and destroy your life. He wants to take you out, not take you down. But as the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, God is looking in the workplace to attach Himself to people whose heart is committed to Him, whose heart is one of worship, whose heart is one of work, whose heart is one of service. And if God can attach Himself to man in a person like that, when He comes into Satan and He comes into the to and fro on the world, in the work, then what happens is the victory is already ours in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Last verse. And you masters. Okay, this is assuming that an employer is one who takes care of his employees in Christ. All right? Not all masters are in Christ. I get that. But Paul's speaking to those who are. And you masters do the same things to them. In other words, all these things he's talking about, you do the same thing. You flip it. And you do it to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your, your own master is also in heaven and there's no partiality with him. You know what he's saying? God's saying, I'm going to judge the slave and I'm going to judge the slave owner. I'm going to judge everybody equally. I pastored a small little church in Florida. I hope they're watching. Uh, I hope they're not watching. I had some guys in leadership who would take advantage of guys that would come. They'd pay them pennies on the dollar to pull tobacco out of their fields. They were tobacco farmers. Pennies on the dollar. They would not take care of their employees. But they would come to church and sit next to me and sing how much you love Jesus, how much I love Jesus, how much I want to walk with Him, how I just, Lord, I lift your name up on high. And I'm going, then pay the person who worked for you like you should. That's what they should have done. Because God says, what I've done in you, you take care of the people that I put under you. That's what Paul's saying here. Not every master is going to treat their employer, their employee right. But those who have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ understand there's no partiality with Him. There's no partiality. So you don't bully your employees. You do what is right all the time. Let me close with this illustration. Yesterday... My wife and I were driving down 35, going toward Alvin. There was two guys, there was a, a, an older gentleman and an older lady, and I say older, seasoned. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, thank you. Veterans. Uh, but they're driving a Corvette. It was yellow. It had the sticker on the side. It, I mean, it had the sticker on the window on the side, and it had a sticker on the front, and it said 2014. I watched this. We were at the stoplight. I watched it happen. Uh, the man got out. He was an older gentleman. He opened the door. They were at a stoplight. They were going to switch seats. He had been driving. I'm assuming she wanted to drive. So he opened his door. He got out, shut his door. She was on the other side, opened the door over here, got out, shut her door, and both of them switched positions and went like this to the door. And the door was locked and the car was running. And I said, Leslie, watch this. My light was green. I said, this is too good of a sermon illustration to miss all of this. So what the man does, he denies there's a problem. He just goes into, he starts going like this on the shield. He starts like looking at the numbers, trying to crunch the numbers. And she's going like, what are you doing? So I watched this. And then we went to Alvin, went back 
And an hour later, the car's still running. The two people are still there. They got police cars surrounding the whole thing. And I don't know where the owner is. I don't know where they test drove the car from. Here's what I thought of. That's the way a lot of people are in life. They are driving in the car. And they get out of the car that has been taking them and moving them to the position they need to be in. They get out of the car and they go and switch positions and they get locked out. Here's what Paul is saying in verse 9. God is going to judge slaves and slave owners, masters and bond servants. They're going to be judged not with partiality. They're going to stand equal before God. And my fear is that a lot of us in this room possibly might be locked out of heaven because we think if we get in the car with somebody that that car is going to take us to where we need to go in the flesh. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, if God is going to judge us equally, then our sin that is going to be judged will either be judged in Christ or it will be judged on you. If you and I don't open the car door and have the password to get back in the car, we'll never have the car take us to where we need to go. The, the master that wants to go to heaven will never go to heaven unless he has the password. The slave who wants to go to heaven will never go to heaven without the password. So they were looking for the password on the car. Here's the good news. The password is Jesus Christ. If God be for us, let me tell you what. You've got to have the password and the password is Jesus. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus. You don't want to get locked out of heaven for all eternity because you didn't understand that you and I will be judged equally. We'll be judged for our sin. Either we'll own that ourselves or we'll say, wait a minute, one day in my life I trusted Jesus. I gave Him my sin. He paid for it on the cross and I gave Him my life. So Jesus steps up and says, He's covered. Let Him in. He's not locked out of eternity. He's locked into me. And He has a relationship with me. If you're here this morning and you feel locked out from the blessings of God, you found found locked out from the favor of God, if you've never ever put in the password of Jesus to let you enter into all of eternity with Him and to offer the abundant life that He has for you and the forgiveness that He has for you, today would be a great day just to receive the free gift of salvation because we'll all stand before God. And it won't be a, I won't go, I, I was a pastor. I, I did this, I did that. What have you done with Jesus? That's all God wants to know. And here's what I can say. For me, I trusted him when I was seven years old. He gave me the password into his life. And I've been riding in the car. It's not always been an easy ride. It's been a bumpy road at times. But he has always been with me. And I will be with him forever. And that's all you have to do is receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. He's already paid for it. Why would you want to be locked out of something that you can be locked into forever? It's better than any policy you could ever sign up for. Would you pray with me this morning? Paul is speaking that our jobs are more than a paycheck. But more important than anything this morning, Because Paul's speaking to people who are in Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with Him. Maybe I'm talking to some people this morning. You've never put your faith into Jesus Christ. You may say, I know God is for me, but I don't have the password. The password is when you realize that you're a sinner. When you realize that you've messed up.
When you acknowledge that you've blown it and you say, there's only one person that can forgive me. There's only one person that can save me. There's only one person that can cleanse me. And here's what you can do right here in this moment. You can say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Clean my heart. Wash me thoroughly. Give me you so that I can be the best employee that my work has ever seen. I'm not the best right now because I'm trying to do things to get noticed by man. But today, Lord, I want you to know that my heart wants to connect with your heart. And the only way I can do that is repent of my sin and ask Jesus to come into my heart. If you need to pray that prayer, would you just pray a prayer like this after me? Say, Dear Jesus, I acknowledge today that I need you that I want you, that I desire you, just like this bond slave made a choice out of his own free will to serve you. I make a choice this morning out of my own free will to receive the free gift of salvation. And I want to serve you, not because you make me, but because you love me and you want to make something beautiful of my life. Just pray that prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. If you're here this morning and you are already saved, But you're not the kind of worker that you need to be in your work. Don't think that coming in here and worshiping Jesus is the end in itself. It's actually the beginning of a great work week. Because you don't go to your boss to worship somebody else. You have a continuation and a flow from this service and your life in Jesus Christ to manifest itself in the workplace so that people can see that you work for Jesus. And there's your platform for worship and witness. God, do a work in our lives today. In your name we pray. Amen.